Welcome to The Age of Trust, a special podcast series brought to you by Verizon that explores how we are securing our future for the fourth industrial revolution, with knowledge becoming critical to Australia's international economic strength. This podcast series explores themes that challenge the productivity of knowledge workers with secure and reliable communications. We discover the explosion in remote working and connectivity and how organisations will need to manage, secure, protect and organise intangible assets such as systems, processes, IP, data, personal information, corporate information and even competitive knowledge. Get ready for the new age of trust by Verizon. We understand at a high level that 5G is a powerful new technology, but just how this next generation of technology is harnessed will ultimately come down to its creative applications by industries to solve their most pressing problems. In this episode of Age of Trust, I talked to Stuart Hendry, the Head of Global Enterprise and Public Sector for the Asia-Pacific at Nokia, and Rob LeBusk, the Regional Vice President for the Asia-Pacific at Verizon. Welcome to you both. We're talking about 5G as a powerful new technology, and right now we're also talking about private 5G. When we look at the applications of any new big radical shift in technology and the power of it, how much of this relies on people to create the solutions? And what are you seeing of the technical architects that are looking at this powerful technology and where are they applying it and how does that take in shape? Yeah, great question, Corey. You know, at Verizon, we describe 5G technology as having the power to transform the way that we live, work and play every day. And the technology will transform all aspects of our lives. So when we think about it from a professional perspective or a company perspective, we can see this sort of new type of network technology changing workflows, production facilities, factory processes, all the way through to the logistics and supply chain, and then all the way through again into the way that we move around physical environments within offices and campuses. From a personal perspective, we can see it change our lives from a, a citizen perspective, as well as a consumer perspective. Governments all around the world are starting to look at use cases and deployment of 5G technology to help build digital citizen experiences of one shape or another. And then of course, as consumers, We're looking for frictionless consumption and hyper-personalization. And 5G technology gives us the ability to do that at scale across large populations. So I don't think there's a, a short answer to that question and not an easy answer. The reality is that this technology will change in time many, many aspects of our lives. Some will be very overt and we'll be very aware of them. Some will be very covert and we won't be very aware of them but we'll be very aware of the end user experience and how the way that we interact with companies, governments, or as consumers changes dramatically. Stuart, can I bring you in here? Your role spans across Asia Pacific. Did you want to add to what Rob's just said and also what you're seeing in terms of what the specific drivers are? And I'm really keen to get to the human and the employee and the citizen at the centre of this and, and how 5G is really addressing challenges and the safety and protection of those people particularly. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point and a great introduction, Rob. And for sure, 5G will help us live, learn, work and play. But I think there's another big trend we're seeing, of course, with Industry 4.0, which is the connection of machines. And with 5G, quality, throughput, latency and performance, 
somehow now when you're connecting technology to allow the world to act together, it's also machines. And with that, we are seeing whole industries digitize. And for many years, the industries that digitize tended to be financial services, professional services, and people industries like this. What we're now seeing is the more physical industries like mining, refineries, transportation systems, manufacturing, these type of much more industrial industries change completely with the support of 5G and overall digitization. With Industry 4.0, if you like, it sounds like a lot of that kind of optimization, digital twinning, there's huge optimization and productivity there. But we still have some of those industries as being the ones where the human is absolutely vital. They're not going anywhere. And what are the opportunities in terms of looking at their work experience in those roles? Yeah, it's a good point. And um, we often look at 5G and consider the benefits, you know, process automation, productivity, reduction of waste, etc. But you also have, particularly in these industries, people are important, and in particular, the health and safety of people. So when you've got these large mission critical industries, where there may be quite dangerous environments, either, say, in mining, where you have to be away from blast sites, or electricity supply systems where there's very high voltage systems. And what we're finding is with the automation and digital twinning of the overall process, we're essentially supporting technology which gets people out of harm's way, which allow people to manage systems without having to be physically present, which improves productivity, improves their job satisfaction, and most importantly, increases the safety. Rob, can I ask you, I know that there's lots of examples that Verizon has talked to over the years and Operation Convergent Response is obviously a great example of what that looks like with the people at the centre of some of this evolving technology. Well, think about it this way. COVID-19, its enduring legacy will be as an accelerator of digitisation. Now, the retail industry has changed forever. It has changed forever. If you don't believe me, ask your local parcel delivery person. Now, their industry has changed as a consequence of the way that we buy and consume goods and services and products due to COVID response. Living in a contactless world has become synonymous with living in a digital world. And everything that we've been forced to do or caused to do as a response to the COVID pandemic has been digitized in some regard. So we've got this confluence of events. We've got this large disruptive event that has occurred at a societal level. And then we have emergence of a new enabling technology. And I think it's really important to make the distinction that 5G technology, incredibly powerful, is an enabler of all other types of technology platforms. So 5G is not just a network carriage in and of itself, it's an enabler of artificial intelligence. It's an enabler of just-in-time supply chain management. It's an enabler of virtual reality applications, augmented reality applications, all those different types of services or digital platforms that we're seeing emerge 5G enables and supercharges many of them. And so that is a, a meta change that we'll see across industry sectors. And that's why it gets really interesting when we think about something like Operation Convergent Response in something like its fourth or fifth year now, which was a direct response of Verizon and our partners to come together and look at how we build, flex and test this technology in real world simulations for first responders. There's no more critical or high stress environment than that of a first responder, be it uh, law enforcement, health, or the military, 
and to be able to road test these technologies based on 5G platforms in that live simulated environment uh, gives us so much learning and accelerates so much a lot of these areas of change that will help to uh, make the world a safer place in the future. So you know, that particular opportunity brings together more than 100 organisations from the first responder community around the world, more than 120 partners, and we get together for three or four days and we road test across some large uh, scenarios, a lot of technology built on these new platforms, particularly 5G as an enable. Stuart, can I ask you, and I think Rob's point, like once you start seeing things like drones or other kind of things that sit on top of a robust 5G network, where you really do see it as an enabling technology, I'd be keen to hear about some of the cases or the use cases that you're seeing about some of these technologies that sit on top of 5G. It's a great point, and I'll maybe cover drones in a second. I'd perhaps like to add a little point to what Rob just covered there, and I would add some benefits of the 5G. And if you look at in Australia, we've not been short of natural disasters over the last few years. And there's been the recent Royal Commission into the National Natural Disasters. And one of the findings of that, and it's something that we're testing with the Australian government as part of the proof of concepts, is 5G is also standards-based. Uh, Rob mentioned in that work, uh, Verizon working on in US, there's 100 different parties. You know, when you look at first responders, they're very keen to make sure different agencies communicate with each other. They're very keen that different jurisdictions can still communicate. And they're also very keen, for instance, to make sure if you've got connectivity, this connectivity can operate over multiple different networks. Now, you can only really do that when you've got a global standards-based system with full industry participation. And, you know, it's a really key attribute of 5G. Since it's standards-based, it can change whole industries, but also really improve the delivery of first responders' capability to respond to emergency situations. Clearly, that's one of the big findings of the Royal Commission, and hopefully in the future state communications, this will be a fruit. As far as drones are concerned, quite interesting, there's been a few user cases we're seeing. There's one we've worked in Japan in Sendai, Sendai government, and that's the site of the unfortunate tsunami disaster a few years ago in Japan. Not a lot of people know this. I visited it, and when that tsunami occurred, it also the airport's quite local. Airport's quite close, and it took down all the emergency airports. And where they now built a system using drones, it's essentially to enable drones to be able to issue public warning systems and guide people to places of safety. So more and more drones are getting fully built into an end-to-end operational response for disasters. And of course, you could imagine a situational bubble where a local 5G is set up with drones in the sky, given that connectivity in these emergency situations. There's another interesting user case in ports. You can imagine these large ports throughout the world and they've got containers and large ships come into the port. And you imagine one of these containers is damaged and it finds its way into the stratocarriers and the systems building these containers everywhere. Now, if that's damaged, it clogs up the whole system. So there's now a user case where drones can be in the air. Humans could never do that, be too dangerous, and can inspect the containers as they leave the ship. Now, what that means is if something damaged, you can put it to one side. That immediately is better for safety, but also saves millions of dollars for the port operators. And actually, also saves the hours and hours of argument between various insurance companies as people decide, was it damaged in the port or was it damaged in the ship? 
So again, 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 we're seeing many drone applications that have become more reliable built into these industry user cases. Apart from the kind of examples that you give, which are fantastic, I was really interested around the, the Royal Commission. Obviously, anyone who was in Australia through that fire season, which was absolutely devastating, really started to understand that they don't respect borders, they don't respect different jurisdictions. And I think a lot of us, or people that went back and looked at any of the kind of legislation or any of the frameworks around the way we looked at emergency management, realised that technology has just moved on so quickly and so far. And now, if I understand correctly, 5G with its sort of international standards is now the technology setting the standards. Is that, Rob, would, can I get your thoughts on that, about how we look at technology kind of leading that interoperability piece? Well, it's a breeding ground for innovation. So any new technology, particularly one that's a uh, quantum step up in terms of capability and operational efficacy like 5G breeds innovation. And uh, for innovation, you need some guide rails in terms of standards so that developers and application users and people that are looking at deploying it across various types of models, be they business or operational, have surety in the technology itself. But I really think that when we contemplate the problem-solving capacity of something like 5G technology, I don't think the true impact has really even been imagined yet. So what Stuart talked about, first responders is an obvious area. It's about creating ultra high bandwidth, ultra low latency communications that are reliable, standards-based, that give density of coverage. That's really what we're talking about. And that's hugely valuable to first responders across a lot of different sectors. But when we think about more broadly, the applications. And oftentimes in these discussions, I get asked, Corey, what's the killer app for 5G? My response usually is, well, if I knew what the killer app was, I'd probably be a billionaire by now um, or well on my way to it. I don't know whether there's necessarily going to be one, but when people really start to understand how they harness the power of 5G technology combined with things like mobile edge compute, effectively bringing the cloud right to the edge of the mobile network and further supercharging the ability to process data and information, then we're going to see some incredibly magical things happen. I agree, Rob. And uh, in the same time as we drive innovation and through standards, this interoperability to improve public safety and the ability of first responders to respond and keep themselves safe. Kind of interesting, another key finding came out of the Royal Commission was as basic as we need to make sure there's sufficient power backup, right? And uh, there's a number of people with position, there's no blue lights if the lights go out. So it really means that we have to, as an industry, continue to think about as we innovate and we build these new technologies, we also have to make those technologies robust and supported so that in times of crisis, they can be relied upon. It's kind of interesting when you step back, Corey, you, you mentioned 5G and impact on society, etc., and I think sometimes it pops up in unexpected places. The other big news, you know, for talking about, you know, natural disasters, of course, what's causing it, the scientists will say, is the climate change. And there's been COP26 recently. And, of course, long-term solution to climate change is to decarbonize our society, which will rely on renewables. Now, if you're an electricity company, and, you know, previously in the olden days, you would have a coal-fired power station, you would generate power, you would transmit it over high-voltage lines, and then you would distribute it as it came down through a set of transformers. But nowadays, that doesn't happen to the same extent. Now, you've got solar and wind, and power's now been generated two-way and multiple positions. And as it's generated two-way, 
we in communications would call that uplink as opposed to downlink. And as the amount of power generated through renewables increases to a certain percentage of the total, let's say 30%, because you've got to match all times of power, demand and supply, that in essence hits a crisis point for intelligent power grids. And these power grids have to respond very quickly. And there's a number of time-sensitive applications, teleprotection and others, which turn out have a very similar characteristics to software-defined networking. And what we find in looking how to design these new power grids, which are going to be needed to handle this, this climate emergency, is the set of design parameters are identical to what you find in global end-to-end mobile networks, which are popular with the 5G standards. So you find not only can 5G apply to industrial situations, but some of the architecture thinking and design, thinking and parameters and technology used in it can then be reapplied into these industrial environments. That's a terrific point. And it, it actually brings me to kind of the next very broad question. You've sort of identified that there's an architecture that's sort of compatible with taking it into an industrial setting and solving what we're now going to see a lot more of when we talk about energy, intelligent grids, etc. We've talked about people and emergency management and preservation of life and safety. We've talked about efficiencies. Rob, from the people you talk to, customers and partners, etc., um, and I'll ask the same of you, Stuart, where's the best thinking or how are organisations best really finding those aha moments? Is there a theme? What are the drivers coming from different places? Because each example that you're providing is so, like, so many light bulb moments. I'm wondering how anyone listening can look at how they're structuring their own organisation to be able to see them and respond to them. Yeah, good question. It's a difficult one to answer simply. I think that ultimately most conversations that I'm having with senior executives revolve at the moment around how do I make decisions today about my technology or my IT that prepare me for a 5G future? And what that 5G future might look like may not be, might be a little bit hazy, it might be a little bit fuzzy, maybe it's not in perfect focus at the moment, but the broad brush strokes are there. It's about a couple of key business imperatives. The first is improving efficiency, creating better customer experiences, and finding ways to create more frictionless commerce. If we think about those three very broad parameters, then uh, you can describe many, many, many applications within that. I spoke earlier about COVID having changed the face of retail forever. It's also changed the face of healthcare forever. And so the healthcare industry as a whole has had this sort of parabolic jump forward into digitization at a level that they haven't had previously. Now at the ultra high end, that's using 5G technology for remote telemetry and remote surgery type of applications, using AR and VR, and in some cases, even artificial intelligence applications. But downstream from that, simple things like getting a consult from a GP and having a ultra high bandwidth, ultra low latency network that you can rely on so that if you need a consultation where the GP needs to be able to examine an element of your physical features, they can do that with high fidelity using 5G technology. So that's a simple example of where the change in technology can move up and down the value stack or the experience stack for an industry. But right now, emerging from pandemic, contemplating what new business models, new structures and new customer behaviours will be, because the other thing that we, we've learned over the last two years is that, that customers, both corporate and consumer customers' behaviour has changed, and that change has been sustained long enough now that it's become habit-forming. 
So i.e. prior to the COVID pandemic, I might have consumed groceries in this way. I've had to change that habit because of COVID. I'm not going to go back to the way that I was doing it two years ago. I've adopted a new practice or a new way of interacting with that particular product or service, and that will continue. So right now, it's talking to those organisations about how they invest, build plans today, and make smart investment decisions for 5G future. Some of them are there already. You've heard many use cases today, but the bulk of organisations are now starting to think about how do I accelerate my investment and my planning processes to get me to that point? Because the sooner I'm there, the more viable I am as a competitor. And that's the other piece. 5G technology ultimately is a competitive advantage in industry. And uh, smart organisations already realise and are utilising it today. I agree, Rob. And, uh, you know, for sure, after COVID, behaviour and how we work has changed, I think, permanently. I suspect we'll all go into a kind of hybrid model. And I was speaking to my daughter two weeks ago and she'd just gone back to university and I thought she'd be pretty excited, right? Partying, meeting people face to face. The first thing she said to me was how inefficient it was to have to go all the way in a bus to university and then hours between lectures and she spent a whole day sitting around for two or three hours of lecturing, which is quite fascinating. She probably would not have said that two years ago. So I, I completely agree with you. I would add, you know, because a lot of my focus has been around private wireless and 5G for, for industry over the last uh, few years. And we're seeing some definite user cases which are driving demand. But I would say this, quite often as a user case, it drives demand. In each and every single one of these, I've been quite inspired by the senior execs of these organisations who place health and safety above everything else. And uh, they're really seeing this happy coincidence that they can improve productivity, but at the same time have dramatic improvements in health and safety by essentially having people out of harm's way or having some better protection in terms of video surveillance, location sensing, augmented reality. And it's quite inspiring how you see senior executives making real decisions based on human safety. But some examples, you know, you're in Australia, Rob, and uh, Australia is a global leader for mining. And we're seeing Rio Tinto and many of the global leaders in Australia essentially using private wireless to build environments to run autonomous vehicles, right? So you can imagine these large trucks the size of houses helping miners extract iron ore and other materials from the ground. Now, of course, with autonomous vehicles, production is greater, wastage is smaller, it's more environmental. And guess what? You keep people away from harm's way. Another good example is in, in Japan, in Nippon Steel. Uh, you can imagine if you're in steelmaking, again, you've got a very hostile environment for human beings. And what they're looking to do is have wearables in the workers so that there's a clear environmental monitors and they can monitor people's safety and uh, health. Equally, you can have location sensing with access control to make sure people do not inadvertently find themselves in the wrong place, which points to good for the environment, good for the bottom line, but also, most importantly, good for safety. We're coming about to time. Lots of great examples there, particularly of the human element and the decisions being made. I wanted to ask you both about you know, what 2022 will hold. Obviously, travel's a little bit more on the, on the cards. We've got a, a newfound understanding of protecting people having come out of, the, of a pandemic. Apart from the things that we've talked about 
both of you. What else are we going to anticipate maybe seeing next year? This is the crystal ball moment, Rob. Thanks, Corey. That's a nice, easy one to end with. <laughs> Sorry. I truly believe that commerce and industry will bounce back much faster than expected. In the Australian context, we're already seeing that. As soon as we saw the lifting of restrictions in certain jurisdictions, we, we've seen a rapid acceleration and engagement of business across industry sectors. I think we'll see that very broadly across the Asia-Pacific region in particular. Now, the Asia-Pacific region is incredibly dynamic. It's characterised not only by the weight of trade that it does with the West, with Europe and the US, but by the incredibly increasing amount of intra-regional trade and the trade relationships within the Asia-Pacific region as a whole. And they have been some of the fastest growing trade relationships anywhere in the world over the course of the last five to eight years. And so I think what we're going to see as a starting point is a kind of a rapid return, not to BAU, but a rapid return to those growth trajectories that we saw and a growing interreliance on those trade relationships within the Asia-Pacific region because they are the fuel. Those relationships are actually the fuel that then drives the global trade agenda from a productivity perspective. So I think it will return much faster and the idea of digital will simply cease to be kind of digital business Digital will just become the way you do business and it will infuse every aspect of the way that companies invest going forward. So I think it's really exciting. I'm very optimistic about the future. Mm, I agree, Rob. And uh, for me, I'm sitting here in Singapore and you're in Australia and I'm managing to go on my first business trip to Australia in a couple of years with the improved uh, vaccination lens between the two countries. And I'm already seeing it and I've seen this from my colleagues in Europe once we begin to open up, we do see a surge of energy amongst uh, our customers and, and teams to really accelerate things which are perhaps pent up. I think the other thing we're going to see, and I hope I'm right here, but I'm seeing early signs of it, is an increasing awareness as we execute and implement technology, the need to really think about energy usage. I think uh, people are becoming much more consciously aware and uh, I think there'll be more and more government policy seeking to be efficient in energy. And for a technology company, we look at two things, almost like a footprint, you know, how energy efficient our chipsets. We've radically reduced the cost of that. Are we carbon neutral? What we're doing around wastage, etc. But also what we call our handprint, you know, was the impact because ICT, not just with Nokia, but the whole industry, really can have a positive impact on how society is able to still provide the services which we, we want and need and desire, but to do it in a much more energy efficient way. And I see that becoming progressively much more important over the next two to three years. Great place to leave it and lots to think about in the, in the year to come. I'd just like to thank both of you for joining today. It's been a fascinating discussion and lots of really interesting things to think about. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey. We hope you enjoyed this special Verizon Age of Trust podcast. For more, keep tuning in to Innovation Oz podcast or go to verizon.com 